They do say a week is a long time in politics, and this week has kind of proved it. It does make us look rather foolish in terms of our European partners and trying to negotiate a good deal for the way out, so it's, it's, it's not a good place to be in. Also, have the events of the past week made the NFU's Your Harvest campaign even more important? At this critical time for the formation of future policy, we need to make politicians understand the role that arable farming plays in managing our iconic British countryside and producing food for the nation. And later we meet the 12-year-old farmer winning awards for his flock of Southdown sheep. Yeah, it's good. I, I enjoy it. It's um, they are quite tricky because they got sort of the nails cut and everything, and then you got to shampoo them, you got to clip them. The week in agriculture. This is the farming program with Sean Dunderdale. Hello. This time last week, David Davis was the Brexit secretary. Boris Johnson was the foreign secretary. Jeremy Hunt was the health secretary. But within hours, that was all to change, with the first two leaving the cabinet and the latter switching jobs. In agriculture, all eyes, of course, were on Michael Gove. Would he resign or be moved from DEFRA? Well, he stayed on, one of the few Brexiteers being loyal to Theresa May. But with a possible leadership battle now looming and the government clearly split, it's certainly added to the uncertainty of what happens after March next year. George Dunn is chief executive of the Tenant Farmers Association. I caught up with him at the Great Yorkshire Show. So what did he make of the latest goings-on in Westminster? Yeah, it's been completely bonkers, hasn't it? I mean, here we have a situation where it's taken us nearly two years to reach a position on the uh, future relationship that we want to have with the European Union. And in two, two days, it becomes unravelled. When we had the Chequers statement, the TFA did call for some cabinet unity and for using every ounce of our energies now to ensure a good deal with the EU, because obviously the EU is not going to roll over and have its tummy tickled on the statement that's been issued by the government. There's going to be some hard negotiation going forward. So we are in a, in a tricky situation, I think, now, and, and it, it does make us look rather foolish in terms of our European partners and trying to negotiate a good deal for the way out. So it's, it's, it's not a good place to be in. At the moment, Michael Goh's still there. I haven't checked since we started talking. He may well have gone, but how, how bad would it have been had he gone or been moved? Well, I think Michael Gove has brought to DEFRA an energy, uh, an intellect, um, a, a passion for doing the right thing by the industry and for the environment um, and he's certainly been very challenging uh, he's, 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 he's not a, a, a rollover by any stretch of the imagination uh, but we've certainly found him to be a pretty good Secretary of State in DEFRA so we're qu- quite keen to retain him and work with him positively and yes he, is, he has been quite challenging to the industry about what the industry is going to be doing to improve its productivity we've been quite challenging back as an organisation saying that the government for such a time as this needs to step up to the mark and look at things like um, grant dating fixed equipment providing uh, uh, programmes for farmer resilience as well as dealing with the environmental stuff so uh, certainly Gove is a, is, a, is a force to be reckoned with um, but we think he's someone that we can do business with now you, you obviously you mentioned you wanted cabinet unity um, maybe this new cabinet will, will bring unity but it seems the uncertainty continues you know if Boris Johnson was to forge this leadership challenge Theresa May vote of no confidence if that was to happen that uncertainty then continues doesn't it which isn't good news for the industry Indeed, and if you look at the reporting that there's been over the past couple of days, um, the indications are that further resignations might be in the pipeline. We don't know from from where or from for when. 
Theresa May has replaced those ministers that have gone with people that ostensibly were campaigners for Remain in, in the referendum. Uh, so we're by far are we yet out of the woods yet? There's a long way to go on this on this battle, um, and yet we've got weeks left before we have to be deciding whether or not we're going to leave without a deal. Um, and in my view, there's nothing worse than no deal. We need to have a, a deal with the EU, at least in the interim, before we can build future alliances elsewhere in the globe. What, what are TFA members saying to you? We've got a whole range of views uh, right across the TFA. We've got those individuals who are saying to us, look, why haven't we left yet? We want to get a, get a bit of this brave new world that we've been promised. We want to we want to move ahead and, and, and stretch ourselves into that and, and to, to, to uh, take hold of the challenges and the opportunities that, 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 that come our way. Right the way down to people who are literally in tears on the phone saying, my business is finished if we don't get something sorted soon. So managing that range of... Of, uh, of feeling and concern has been quite challenging for us as an organisation. Um, uh, and so we have been, since April of 16, before the referendum, we have been putting out a policy statement that we think the government should be picking up. All of our members have corralled around that as a sensible place to be, which is about investing in the productivity of our industry, obviously paying for environmental goods uh, and environmental management going forward, but also dealing with the supply chain, which has worked against farmers for many years, ensuring that we don't uh, export our environmental problems by having trade barriers and stuff that's not produced to the same standards that, that we are producing, looking at the taxation framework, expanding the tenancy opportunities. So, yeah, it, it is challenging for members, but we have those that are keen, keen to go and, and you know, put, put their put full throttle down on those who are more worried and concerned about the future. What about generally? How are things away from Brexit? Are people optimistic for the future or not enjoying the heatwave? Uh, it's been an interesting year weather-wise. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've had a, a, a wet and a, uh, and a, and a cold um, spring. It was very late. People were, were behind the curve. Lots of people have caught up. But yes, in other areas, we're having water stress. We're getting lots of members who are saying that the private water supplies are drying up at the moment, which is something they've never seen in a generation, which is quite interesting. Um, but uh, people wouldn't be in farming if they weren't positive about the future and positive about what, what might come down the line. And we've just got to work with them and with government to ensure that we do have a resilient, sustainable industry for the long term. Because at the end of the day, British consumers want to consume high quality food produced to high standards from domestic uh, producers. And we need to ensure that this industry is here for the future. George Dunn of the TFA. Well, one thing has changed as a result of the past week's events. Three weeks ago, the Farming Minister, George Eustace, told this programme that the Agriculture Bill would be placed before Parliament by the end of this month. Well, now Mr Eustace has confirmed that won't be the case. It's now expected in either late September or early October. Uh, George says the publication of the Chequers White Paper this week and, as he puts it, other issues means they've run out of time before the summer recess. That does, though, mean there's plenty of time to lobby MPs ahead of that bill's publication. One way is the NFU's Your Harvest campaign. Tom Bradshaw is chairman of the NFU Crop Board. He's been telling Andrew Ward more about it. 
Well, I think uh, arable farming plays a huge role in society, but it's quite invisible to the end consumer because a lot of the products that will be bought in the supermarket, whether that be beer or whiskey or bacon or milk, they're all reliant on arable farming as the cornerstone of production. But uh, they don't realise that they are when they're buying those products. So what we're trying to do now is highlight the significance of the arable sector to society. And when you think 11 million loaves of bread are made daily mm. and 85% of that comes from, from UK-produced wheat, I think we have an incredible story to tell. And at this critical time for the formation of future policy we need to make politicians understand just the role that arable farming plays in managing our iconic british uh, british countryside and producing food for the nation we've got to target some of our urban mps as well because as i say the, the numbers are quite staggering 25 billion liters of milk produced annually a billion chickens 10 million pigs all reliant on the arable sector so um, you know the numbers are staggering any urban urban MPs, their constituents are reliant on this stuff every day. We are feeding society and we need to make sure that politicians understand the implications if they don't give us a fair deal post-Brexit. Do you, do you think that the many uh, farmers uh, themselves are actually doing enough to promote their own industry or do you think it, it could get better? Yeah, it definitely can get better and I think what I'm hoping here, the, the pride that I've seen in, in members when they've read these numbers about the, the role that we're playing in society is quite incredible. Uh, I hope that we can take ownership of this as an industry and really drive our message. You know, We have to keep on reminding Michael Gove we want to embrace environmental delivery but first and foremost we're food producers mm. and feeding the nation is something that we have a responsibility mm. to do mm. but also he has a huge opportunity to be the minister that repatriates food production to the UK and when people look back in history it could be Michael Gove that they remember for driving food security and a profitable food production sector in the UK. Do you think Michael Gove um, is, the, is the right chap to take us forward as a minister? I mean we had the health and harmony document uh, recently just, just finished and we could have uh, replied to it which a lot of us did. Uh, do you think he's the right person for the job? What, what Michael Gove's done is brought huge gravitas to DEFRA and, and, a, and a lot of focus so you know, we may not agree with all of his messages but I think what he, he does bring a, a, you know, the profile and with that profile comes the ability to create noise about what we're doing so so I think actually we may not like the, the way that he's embracing the, the environment rather than food production but it gives us an opportunity to engage and to, to really uh, suddenly MPs are interested mm-hmm. in, in DEFRA and the role that it plays so we do have an opportunity take the opportunity this summer to pester your MP and get them out on farm and I only believe we've been successful when MPs are turning around saying well I'm bored of this I've heard so much from farmers at that point we know the message has got through yeah that's right I think it does it is worthwhile you know I had Natalie Bennett on the farm in January and, and she went away with sort of a lot more knowledgeable than what she arrived and I think it's so important to actually engage with these people all the way through and especially with the harvest because that is a crucial time in our year yeah and look it's, it, it, it brings back iconic memories you know the harvest festival and all those sorts yeah. of things it's romantic it's sexy mm-hmm. yeah it's our time of year to show off what we're doing and yeah, let's be proud about what we're doing i, I just think we, we we really have such a great story and now is the opportunity to, to drive that message to government that's tom bradshaw chairman of the nfu crop board speaking with andrew ward and if you do manage to get an mp to visit you this harvest do please get in touch i'd be happy to come along as well and see what they think you know politicians love the chance to be on the radio as well so it might even help persuade them do let me know Right, a man who is no stranger to lobbying politicians either. Also knows Tom Bradshaw quite well. Sean Sparling is here with The Week in Agronomy. Morning, Sean. Yes, good morning, Sean. I have. I've known Tom a long time. He speaks very well, doesn't he? He's a great ambassador for this industry. And the Your Harvest initiative is absolutely vital. Politicians love it. You know, whether he or she is invited to sit on a combine, they will always have a 
team of photographers and journalists taking pictures of them, writing flattering articles about them. So the more we can get them out to show them what we do in agriculture, the better it is. And we need to ensure that our industry is protected going forward because we're working with nature. It's us working alongside nature with integrated pest management, integrated crop management, integrated farm management. That's what we do. We work with Mother Nature and the environment to protect it and make sure there's a happy medium between ensuring the environment, the watercourses, the ecosystems are protected, but also producing enough food so that we can continue to live and enjoy it. And obviously agriculture pumps a lot of money into the national purse. And that's vital as well, because if we step back from farming, the only reason the British countryside is as beautiful as it is, is because of British agriculture. If Mother Nature were, were left to our own devices, we would very soon be completely overrun and it would be uncrossable, you know, with brambles and cooch grass, black grass, thistles, nettles. It would soon be overrun. People would be clamouring for some sort of respite and let's get it back to where it was before. We're there now. We're working very closely with nature and we're doing the job very safely, very honestly, very openly. So let's have the policymakers out and show them what we're doing and why we're doing things. Absolutely brilliant idea. The politicians aren't quite so enamoured when an agronomist says would you like to come out and walk 18 to 20 miles on a hot day with me we do very little stopping very little eating or drinking and we we haven't got time to have a photographer with us they're not quite as enamoured with that but I think we really should embrace these initiatives to raise the profile of what we try to do in agriculture right let's move on I'm going to try and keep this relatively short disease control is minimal potato blight obviously that's the big crop you need to keep up your potato blight program seven to ten day interval Every day is a hutton period. We are getting smith periods constantly. Thundery, humid weather. That's where we are. Blight, just keep those modes of action rotated and intermingled because it's only that which will slow the progress of resistance within the blight family. Um, and also pests in potatoes. We've got them in all the other crops as well. That's what we're going to talk about. But miser persicae, peach potato aphid, you can find winged and wingless colonies within potato crops now. Pyrethroid is largely useless because of mace resistance, KDR, super KDR. So you have to look at the plenums, the biscayas, the tapikis. So time them right. Make sure you're at threshold. And if you need to go, then go with those. Remember, an aphid gives birth to live young. Each one of those live young contains two fully formed live young when they're born. And within 8 to 12 days, each one of those young will give birth to more live young, each of which has two fully formed live young within them. So the, the population can explode very, very quickly. If you look in the canopy, you'll see a lot of ladybirds, hoverflies, lacewings, all of which are helping us against Miser's persecution. And there seems to be quite a lot of activity from the parasitic fungi as well. So just be aware of all those things and make your decision based upon the facts in front of you, not based on calendar day. Peas and beans as well. Spring beans, a lot of brookid activity still out there. They may have gone out of flower, but the pods are still setting. And if you look very closely at those pods, you'll see a fraction of a millimetre long little egg. And that is brookid beetle egg. It hatches, the grub burrows into the pod, into the bean, lives in the bean, and then explodes out of it, leaving those characteristics little holes. Now I went to some spring beans on Thursday. They're out of flower. I put some sticky traps in there. I drove to a field 10 minutes away, came back after 15 minutes and there were seven brookid beetles stuck on the initial trap. So the brookid are out there. Two consecutive days, 20 degrees C and they will migrate. We've had four weeks of 20 degree heat plus. So they're out there in these fields. We need to be aware of them. And remember pyrethroids are your only plan of attack. So in order to protect the beneficials, go in the middle of the night 
when beneficials are not quite so active in the canopy. We need to protect them because they're doing a lot of good. The ladybirds, the hoverflies, the lacewing, they're all helping us against the black aphid colonies, which aren't really exploding as much as I would expect them to. But pyrethroid's not particularly good on those. And remember, you've only got one hit of perimicarb or aphox anyway. So if you've missed that boat, you need those beneficials to help you control those aphids. Peas as well, pea moth, they're largely out of flower. They're starting to turn now, but the weather's just all wrong for disease. A lot of the diseases in peas and beans and linseed and everything else is wet weather diseases. And we're not getting those conditions. So perhaps disease control is not quite as important as it was. Sugar beet, black aphid colonies, you can find, remember, one plant in four affected is your threshold. If you've got 14 leaves on the plant you're not quite so at threat um, under threat rather and let the beneficial deal with that problem silver wire moth still finding one or two but again threshold five silver wire moth per plant nothing like that out there if you're thinking about desiccating linseed remember the seeds inside the bowl need to be a milky tea color and the stem below the bowl for about three inches needs to be brown before they fit um, and also all seed rate clear field varieties going off very very evenly a lot of the other varieties we've got three or four crops in each field it's a, a head scratcher i've got crops which have already been combined i've got crops which have yet to be sprayed off so it's all over the place i have very little information on harvest yields yet i'm hearing snippets and bits and bobs but hopefully by this time next week we'll have a better picture of how 2018 harvest is progressing hopefully quality will be extraordinary and i think this year we need massive quality because yield is certainly not going to be the big thing it does seem to be so doesn't it sean sparling of sparling agronomy services Prepare to meet Farmer Jack in a moment. First, the latest grain news and important prices too. Kit Dickinson has the weekly update from Open Field. Another week gone and still no rain. We have seen cooler temperatures at times this week, but this is not helping our crops. Sadly, we are at the point now where no amount of rain will bring these crops back. We have seen a small amount of winter barley and all seed rape cut this week, generally on light land. But there hasn't been enough cut to give us any indication of yield or quality. In the trade this week, in a week that Europe lost 10 million metric tonnes from the forecast, the Matif paused today after gaining 11 euros with the euro firmer against the USD over technical resistance of 190.5, stopping yesterday's high. The French Farm Office reported harvest had officially started at the beginning of the week with 3% cut from the 1st of July versus 5% cut this time last year. Wheat rating conditions declined 1% from 73% from the previous week's estimates to 74%, and with dust having now settled on Strategy Grain's 33.16 million metric tonne crop last week, the consensus sees France at 35 to 36 million. In the UK, the AHDB's planting and variety survey estimated that the 2018-19 UK wheat area would fall by 2% to 1.744 million hectares, from last year against January's provisional number of 1.752 million hectares. The AHDB commented the endemic blackgrass problem will remain an issue reducing wheat plantings in the eastern region and the southeast and London, although I'm not quite sure how much wheat is grown in London. London wheat closed £3.40 down on Tuesday evening with general profit taking from the trade, but also in the absence of consumer business, which helps last week's price rises. Allseed rape. There hasn't been much allseed rape cut locally, but most people are waiting for the off. What has been cut is coming in average to slightly disappointing on yield and quality. On a more positive note, prices are holding up after the soybean market dropped this week. Don't forget, when combining allseed rape, phosphor terms stipulate moisture has to be 6% or above. Otherwise, this could result in moisture premium losses. This is just something to keep an eye on in a dry time. The barley market had a slow week with limited data coming through on new crop. 
This could be a different story next week if this good weather continues, so watch this space. Values this week, wheat, August, 160 to 164, November, 164 to 167, and May 19, 170 to 174. Milling premiums are circa 14 to 16 pounds, dependent on area and quality. Barley, feed barley, August, 138 to 140, November, 143 to 146, January, 146 to 147. Malting barley premiums are currently 33 to 38 pounds on springs, with a 10 pound discount on winters. Oilseed rape, harvest movement, X farm, 295 to 297. September, 300 to 302. And November, 304 to 306. Thanks, Kit. Kit Dickinson from Open Field. Now, you'll know if you listen regularly, we're always supporting new, younger blood working in agriculture here on the Farming Programme, and they don't come much younger than Jack Bowles. He's 12 years old, although started on the route to farming at the age of one. His family is steeped in farming history. His great-grandfather was a first-generation farmer, and at just 12, remember, Jack is the first in the family to show sheep. And he's won a fair few prizes already, most recently last week, at Winterton Show. Jack's greatly inspired by his 86-year-old granddad, Ron Tyson. Yeah, he's, he inspired me when I, when I, since I've been young. When I was a baby, I had to um, give, show me tractors to do some crying and all sorts. I, when I was um, one, I got three sheep. I think, I think they were Suffolks. I can't remember all of them, to be honest, if they were different breeds. So. I started out with them. I've got one of them still. When I was six or seven, I think it was, I um, had got six, five or six texts from sheep. Um, that was off Susie Malkinson, David Fennick. And then when I was, um, I think it was ten, I got sat, I started with my South Downs. I chose them because they were a traditional English breed and I, and I, I'm fascinated by history. One of the reasons because I've got dyspraxia and most people who've got dyspraxia actually are into history. Um, I chose them because they were a traditional English breed and they um, were quite common in Tudor England. But I chose them because they are a good hardy breed as well because they they've, they're good at adapting to different places. And how many, how many South Down have you got now? Uh, I've got one, two, I think I've got five today. A Lincolnshire show I had eight. And you won some prizes at the Lincolnshire, didn't you? Yeah, I got first in reserve with a reserve, and a reserve champion with our fleece in the fine wool class. Got a pair second, another second from a fleece. A lot of work goes into the uh, showing of the sheep, doesn't it? But you clearly yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, it's good. I, I enjoy it. It's um, They are tricky because they've got to have their nails cut and everything, and then you've got to shampoo them, you've got to clip them you got to make them look the best. you got to choose the best type of flock in order to get awards and everything. And farming, it's been in the family for oh years and years, hasn't it? Yeah. I think your great-grandfather yeah. used to have sheep and yeah. the sheep stopped in the 1940s and you've kind yeah. of brought it back into the family, yeah? Yeah, my granddad's the first generation um, for owning a farm, I think it is. I'm the first person to show animals. But if it's like all together, if you wanted to see the family's history of farming, it's something like. I think it's from the Stone Age I've been farming all the way up until now. I think it is. And you want to keep that tradition going? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I like, I love farming. It's what I enjoy doing. 
And when I go to my granddad's, I'm always he taught me how to use a scythe and actually make a stook. What and if you don't know what a stook is, basically before they had baler, when they when medieval England, when they cut the hay or straw or, some, or the wheat or something, basically they'd take it up in a bundle, then it would be wrapped around with string or baler twine. Or they only have baler twine these days. But then they then would have them instead. So it's a long whole crop that was being cut at the bottom with a scythe and then you bundled it up and then you put it down. And they're really useful. And he taught you how to do that, yeah? Yeah. Wow. He taught me how to do it. He showed me how to do it and then my first try I got well, it was almost perfect. What is it you like about farming? What is it you um, get out of it? I just like everything about it. I like um, tractors. They're, I love old tractors. I'm not so keen on the new ones, but I do like new ones. I'm favourite tractors, the John Deere 6400R. That's just a beast. And um, that's my favourite modern tractor. My favourite old tractors. Um, I think it's it's got to be a John Deere Model A. It's like um, the old tractors. I like how they've got like they've been they're like on the beginning bit and they've got all different technologies and stuff it's what we have nowadays and much harder to drive so you're 12 at the minute 13 this year what's the future hold for you what do you want to achieve ultimately stay in farming or something else stay in farming um i've got to get another job to get to in order to pay for the farm and everything something i'm stuck in between history teacher english teacher historical land agent archaeologist or historian because I really like the Crusades and everything's research. All right, well, listen, as I've said before, we're going to, we'll keep in touch with you. Yeah. I think over the years, maybe until you're 86, I might not be here, but we'll see. I'm, I'm sure you'll still be farming when you're 86. Big shout-out also to your school, because yeah. I know they're going to be listening, and they, they give you a bit of freedom, don't they, to, to, yeah, to do this? Yeah, that's William Farr, amazing head teacher, Mr Stone. Dis- strict discipline, though. They were really good. They, they let me go to the show, Mr Nola does. He's a deputy head and everything. 12-year-old farmer Jack Bowles there. I'm going to keep in touch with Jack. He's definitely one to watch. And his brother Thomas as well, who's just five and he's equally passionate about farming. Brilliant. I'm not sure we're quite so passionate about the weather at the moment. Are we uh, doing a rain dance yet? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. It is going to be more unsettled as we head into the week. Today, uh, much of muchness, 25 the high, plenty of sunshine, the wind from the southwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Some cloud overnight tonight, though, but it will stay dry. 14 will be the low, the wind from the west at about 5 miles an hour. Tomorrow, more overcast. We're looking at highs of about 24 Celsius, that wind from the southwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then a muggy night, Monday into Tuesday, staying dry, 15 the low, the wind from the northwest at about 10 miles an hour. Then that more unsettled weather comes in, caused by that uh, Hurricane Chris, which has been off Newfoundland this weekend. Uh, Some rain on Tuesday, by the looks of things, some relief on the farms. Could be heavy, though, in places. We'll see. Maybe some thunder in there. 21 the high, the wind from the west at about 10 miles an hour. And then overnight, some cloud, some clear skies, 10 Celsius where the cloud clears. We're looking at winds of the west-northwesterly, about 5 miles an hour. Cloudy day again on Wednesday, maybe some more rain. 22 the high, the wind from the west, again about 5 miles an hour. And then that unsettled feeling continues towards the latter end of the week. Some sunshine, but again some rain possible. We're looking at highs in their early 20s, overnight lows in their early teens. 
And that's the forecast. This week, it's Farm Safety Week. There'll be plenty of tips and advice online from the Yellow Wellies team aimed at really just reminding you of being safe this harvest. It's well worth checking those tips out. You never know. One of them could save your life. Next week on the programme, some new technology for you. Just launched into the UK, the new robot milking machine, where the cows actually queue up to use it. I saw it with my own eyes. More on that next week. Until then, have a safe week's farming.